Welcome to podcast number 39 for Thanks for Your Service. Thanks for Your Service is a news and information resource and its focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net and you can email us at info at thanksforyourservice.net. Kate Reed smith is a former military intelligence officer, now Canberra-based intelligence historian, specialising in World War II, Southeast Asia in general, and Malaysia, Singapore and Borneo. Working across several regional languages, including Mandarin Chinese, her current research focus is on Secret Intelligence Australia, or SIA, a little-known wartime MI6 agency that operated out of Australia between 1942 to 1945. Kate is currently working on a book on Secret Intelligence Australia, which is due out hopefully next year. And Kate gives us an insight into SIA and joins us from Canberra. Kate, many thanks for joining us today. Hello, David. Thanks for having me. Now, many of our listeners have heard of Bletchley Park uh, in the United Kingdom and and aware of some of their intelligence product that helped uh, in all theatres in World War II. Now, previously in our podcast, we've heard about the Central Bureau in Australia, but we're going to tell us, talk to us today about the Allied Intelligence Bureau. So who were they? Well, essentially, um, they were basically a joint United States, Australian, Dutch and British Intelligence and Special Operations Agency set up in the uh, Allied Intelligence Bureau incarnation in mid-1942. But they weren't the first. The original AIB was actually set up six months earlier in January, almost immediately after... Uh, the invasion, Japanese invasion of uh, British Malaya, uh, the Netherlands, East Indies, the Philippines. And uh, that was actually set up under something called ABDACOM, which was the American, British, Dutch and Australian command. And it was essentially trying to coordinate allied defences in a, a newly opened up area of operation. So you can imagine everything had been focused on Europe, the Middle East, defence of the UK, and... Um, and, of course, the Atlantic with the U-boats and various other protection of shipping. And now, all of a sudden, there was these two new areas uh, opening up under Japanese threat. One was Southeast Asia, and where we had the um, Lord Mountbatten Southeast Asian Command set up. And the other was, of course, the Pacific, where we had the Southwest Pacific Headquarters set up under General Douglas MacArthur. So to coordinate and try to stop some of the overlapping competition, uh, especially over resources, by mid uh, 1942, the Allied Intelligence Bureau was set up with designated chains of command to try and alleviate the chaos. Now, AIB had a number of sections, and Section B was known as Secret Intelligence Australia. So who were they? Yes. Ostensibly, Secret Intelligence uh, Australia was um, MI6's outstation. And uh, MI6, of course, everybody knows from James Bond, but it was the UK's uh, premier secret intelligence service that really was concerned with uh, protecting British national security interests anywhere around the world. And it's a bit of a misnomer that it was put under uh, the Allied Intelligence Bureau um, because, for example, the American early version of the CIA and their OSS didn't have a similar kind of setup under AIB. So it was really... Um, a, a, a specifically UK-focused um, 
uh, agency, although it was supposed to contribute ostensibly to Allied uh, anti-Japanese operations. But as I said, it's uh, early days, work in progress, and um, <laughs> I'm trying to be uh, put it into context that a lot of what they did was piggyback on existing operations such as people are aware of with uh, Z-Force or M-Force or the Services Reconnaissance Department, the SRD, the Special Operations people. But um, again, very limited and very much focused on uh, the uh, United Kingdom's post-war security. So when, when were they formed and why were they formed? Secret Intelligence Australia was formed as one of the four major agencies under the AIB in June. The first one was, uh, as I said, Z4 Special Operations. That was Section A. Section C was, you know, more combined activities, more inclusive, included the Dutch in things like coast watching, and Section D was the propaganda um, element. Section B, uh, uh, Secret Intelligence Australia, again, it's, it's open to debate and conjecture as to why it was set up. It didn't have a clear mandate. The other three did. Their, their, um, what their jobs were in the war if it were clearly mandated. SIA didn't have that. It, it, its only official responsibility was information collection of the enemy through certain special means and channels, which were never defined. And it's a very broad directive. So, you know, giving an agency carte blanche of collecting information on the enemy, it wasn't told what type of information to collect or how it was to collect nor was the enemy defined. So the enemy, in those terms, could have been ensuring that, you know, colonial populations post-war uh, were still adhering to um, British imperialism. In terms of the people who made up SIA, the senior personnel, who were they? Uh, they were all English. Um, all the senior executives and senior officers that made up SIA were selected by the British government and they were appointed by the British government. The head of section was a, a person by the name of Captain Roy Kendall, who was a highly experienced uh, merchant seaman. He'd uh, spent uh, many decades in Southeast Asia, ran a very successful coastal trading business out of uh, New Guinea. And uh, um, he'd been part of the Royal Navy Reserve since uh, about 1923. He trained as a submarine officer, um, actually with the Royal Navy, uh, for 12 months, but didn't seem to go back into submarine service and uh, stayed out in in the Pacific and Southeast Asian region with his merchant marine background. But he was appointed head of uh, um, Secret Intelligence Australia in June. Uh, prior to that, of course, he'd been sent out by the British government um, as part of Commander Rupert Long's Naval Intelligence Division, Commander Rupert Long being the Australian head of Naval Intelligence based in Melbourne. So Kendall had been sent out attached to him. Uh, and then, of course, once AIB came online, he was set up as the director of Secret Intelligence Australia. The other most notable person was a, a person called Wing Commander Cecil Pitt Hardacre, who'd actually been an assistant treasurer with the Sarawak government. Um, he'd been in the Royal Air Force in World War One and was given an honorary... Um, the title of Wing Commander with the Australian Air Force during World War II. Um, and he, again, came on board. He was I'm not sure if he was 2IC, as I said, early days yet, but they were the two main uh, persons associated uh, with the kind of administrative side. And then on the other side, the logistics side, was uh, a woman called Eve Walker, who'd been a former Fleet Street journalist. Uh, and she was uh, given the title of Third Officer Wren, Women's Royal Naval Service. 
and she seems to have been involved more on the logistics side. She certainly wasn't the secretariat side. And mm. um, they're the three main ones um, that I've tracked down so far. And where, where was SIA based? Um, originally, it started off in Melbourne, uh, where AIB was located, until MacArthur moved everything up to Brisbane. So when the South West Pacific headquarters went up to Brisbane, SIA followed. Um, not all of them did. The propaganda section, Section D, for example, stayed in Melbourne. But SIA uh, went up to Brisbane and had its main administrative headquarters in a place called Craig Royston, which was in suburban New Farm right on the Brisbane River. It had another area, a separate training area out in Caboolture, which was a, a, a vast, almost like a, a vast English estate, where they did some of their own um, training out there, and that area was called Newman's House. The other two major things that Secret Intelligence set up was um, they had an operational section in somewhere called House 26. It was at the edge of a, an airfield in Darwin, and they, they shared premises with the lugger maintenance section, the LMS, which was uh, a cover for many Z-Force operations between Darwin and Timor and Dutch East Indies. And the, the other one they had was a telecommunications relay station in Snake Bay, Melbourne Island, which was it wasn't that big. It was very small, but it did operate as some sort of forward radio relay station for Secret Intelligence Australia. Again, early days. Not really sure what it was doing there, but um, it, it was uh, active until until capitulation. Now, SIA came under uh, the Allied Intelligence Bureau, but you mentioned that they were essentially an offshoot of MI6 out of the UK. So who did they report to? Again, this is a very grey area. Ostensibly, the chain of command was up through the Allied Intelligence Bureau. And indeed, some of the um, archival material I found uh, regarding Secret Intelligence Australia has been reported up through the various things, such as the controller, uh, Colonel Roberts, who was the controller of AIB. Um, and a lot of AIB, uh, what is called product, that would be any reporting they were doing, would, would go up to that administrative AIB chain of command for dissemination to other areas associated, not just with AIB, but Navy, Army, Air Force, people who would need to know. The other side is that um, there was obviously a direct reporting link uh, to Churchill's office because some of the, um, again, reportage that I've been trying to access in the UK, but of course COVID, um, has Kendall, who as head of SIA was, was reporting directly through the channels to Churchill via the British Security Coordination Centre in New York. So... He wasn't actually on a direct link, but um, the British Security Coordination Area, BSC, in New York was another MI6 operation um, in uh, North America. So um, he wasn't reporting to Whitehall. Uh, there was no reporting to the Australian government that I found. Um, and certainly there was no reporting to what was then the colonial and uh, dominion uh, areas of the Foreign Office, the British Foreign Office. But there were certainly direct links between uh, Kendall and Churchill um, whether it was personally between them, I can't say that, but there was definitely something um, between SIA and Churchill Direct. Mm. And do you, was there any intelligence product that you can find actually shared with the Australian government? No, not yet. Mm. Uh, I've not come across anything that is even uh, close to any kind of direct reporting. It doesn't seem that Kendall and SIA had anything to do with uh, the Australian government whatsoever. 
Can you summarise for us some of their field operations? For example, uh, there was a project known as the Borneo Project. Yes, that, that's uh, one of the very first ones I've tracked down that SIA were involved with, but it started life in London in December 1941. Um, it was essentially uh, one of the earliest attempts of a British covert insertion mission into Borneo Island and had two mission objectives. One was um, oil fields reconnaissance because, um, uh, as listeners may or may not know, uh, Borneo was one of the largest oil producers in the region at the time. And the other uh, mission objective was that uh, it was one of the earliest attempts to set up some sort of local anti-Japanese resistance. Um, of course, we're not really sure whether either of those missions uh, happened because by December 1942, almost 12 months later, two of SIA's personnel, uh, Lieutenant John Wink and Lieutenant Francis Moore, who were members of the Royal Australian Naval Volunteer Reserve, were inserted by American submarine uh, into North Borneo. Um, other than that, we really have no idea what happened. They've never heard from again. Uh, but the interesting thing is that both men were highly experienced former Borneo uh, district police commissioners. Uh, they had languages, they had local languages, they had Malay, um, and they, they had been up country. They did know the jungle, but they'd only been six months in the military and I'm not yet sure if they've received any real jungle or behind enemy lines to either training. I'm, I'm trying to track real groups to see if they, you know, were Fraser Island training, for example, or down on Wilson's Promontory for some of the Special Forces training. But um, we don't know. We just don't know what happens to them to this day. Um, we do know that they missed their 23rd March 1943 rendezvous with the Americans. And uh, that, that is the date that's given anecdotally as their presumed date of death because we just don't know what happened to them. So the Borneo project was pretty much a mitigated disaster and it doesn't seem to have had a lot of input from anyone outside of SIA, which, again, uh, trying to access some of the reports, as you can imagine, is uh, pretty difficult with COVID and I can't uh, get to London. Mm. Are there any identifiable achievements by SIA that contributed to the war effort in Southeast Asia that you can find out about? Oh, David, that's a very contentious. <laughs> um, at this stage, I've yet to find anything uh, individually uh, that SIA has done to directly contribute um, to anything of that nature. What I can say is that, as I said earlier, they did piggyback on a lot of other operations that were run by Section A, such as special forces and special operations, in-country operations, um, as I said, Z-Force, those kind of things. But not really a lot of standalone operations that contributed directly to war fighting effort against Japan at this stage. Mm. And what happened to them after the war? Well, interestingly enough, um, SIA was pretty much the first intelligence agency to be stood down as soon as uh, Japan surrendered. It was the, the first pretty much that I can find. And uh, most of the personnel who'd been involved with it either um, were completely stood down from the military. Then there were a handful of others who were absorbed into other sections of um, the Allied Intelligence Bureau, such as uh, Lieutenant Hirsch Munz, who was a highly gifted linguist, had done uh, quite a lot of work on Japanese intelligence services during his time with SIA. And uh, he was actually absorbed into the interrogation and translators section um, in December 1945 and January 46, and he was actually sent to uh, Batavia, Glodok Jail, which is now Jakarta, of course, um, to interview uh, Nazis 
who had been interned there. Is it our understanding that you're actually writing a book on this particular topic on the SIA? Uh, yes, that's correct. Um, uh, I'm actually uh, focused on uh, Secret Intelligence Australia, specifically 1942, 1945. Um, and, I, and because there's such a vast gap in the literature, literature we really don't know it is one of those agencies we know absolutely nothing about thus far um, if anybody any listeners were keen to um, read a little bit more about it um, I would suggest uh, Alan Powell the, the late Alan Powell's book War by Stealth he has um, a, a small section on SIA in it um, normally though Secret Intelligence Australia is pretty much a footnote you'll get maybe one or two sentences about it um, Nothing in depth. So it's one of the reasons I'm writing the book is really to address the gap in the literature and to fill a hole in Australia's military history because it is a substantial hole, mainly because, yes, there were mainly uh, English uh, officers in charge of this MI6 agency out here, but ninety more than 95% of the persons actively engaged in any of the operations were Australian military personnel. These were AIS personnel. These were... Um, uh, Australian Navy sailors, Australian Air Force um, personnel. So it, it is a huge gap. And for, for many of the families, you probably would never know what their what their fathers did or grandfathers did or grandmothers did during the war because, you know, they couldn't talk about it for years and years and years. And in terms of keeping up to date on the progress of your book and, and a possible uh, uh, date that it might be published, are we looking at next year or the year after or how are we going with it? Well... Um, well, essentially, it was it was supposed to be due out mid to end next year. Unfortunately, uh, I lost one of my editors to COVID, and so it's been a, it's been a, as you can imagine uh, rather harrowing in trying to get things organised um, from here to London. But uh, I am hoping that it will be out by the end of uh, 2022, and at the latest early 2023. And, and I am hoping that I can. Uh, um, um, hopefully get into um, uh, COVID willing, of course, get back into the, the scheme of you know rummaging around archives mm. because there are certain things, of course, that I need to access that I can't physically do from Australia. And, and can we keep uh, up to date uh, your website? We can post uh, on, onto Facebook and also for this podcast is simply-history.com. We'll keep an eye on that too. Yes, that's that's uh, I've, uh, that's only something that's recently been set up, but it's I, I thought that would be a good way to get things across um, because there's been quite a few people, as I said to you, it's been extraordinary the amount of interest and uh, from a lot of family members, which has been quite heartening. So they find out what's happened to you know their relatives or um, just just little things. Sometimes it explains well, why there were large family absences that they could never talk about. So um, the nature of special forces, of course, and the nature of secret intelligence. It's very hard if, if you don't know, um, you don't know what you don't know kind of thing. Fascinating insight into a, a very little known unit uh, that had a contribution, we think, in terms of uh, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the, the war in Southeast Asia. Kate, thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you, David. All the best. That's the podcast for today. You can find relevant links to this podcast on our Facebook page and we'll keep a watch out for Kate's book. We're keen to hear your feedback. Leave a comment on our Facebook page and if you're listening to us via iTunes or other podcast apps, please leave a review.
If you're interested in support of this podcast, you can support us via Patreon. The link is www.patreon.com forward slash thanks for your service. Your support helps us with the production of this podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>